This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Greetings and welcome to the Rock 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 and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Mark and with us as always is a man who cares quite a bit about his good reputation. It's Frankie D. That's right, Mark. You got to protect your rep. Welcome back to the show, friends. Remember, you can find Check Out This Record on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you find the finest of podcasts. Golly heck, Frank, we're even on the tube of you. That's, that's right, Mark. New episodes drip to the drop directly to your ears every Friday. And of course, this is all for your listening pleasure. Absolutely, it is. You know, here on Check Out This Record, Frank and I, well, we treat every record like a fudgy the whale cake. Uh, or Cookie Puss or, or yeah. come St. Patrick's Day, uh, Cookie O Puss. That's right. Uh, we give each a solid once over where we treat that biatch up. Uh, excuse me, we tear that biatch up. Uh, of course, we also indulge in a wide array of musical discussions, like in our Spotlight series, where we'll dig into a band's catalog, like a couple of grave robbers, and see what's buried inside there. A pioneer in women's rock, or a pile of black-hearted oh. record execs laughing at us from beyond the grave. That's right. Or in our verse series, we pit two albums against each other, and they duke it out for total stereo Domination. Now, if social media is your thing, and we know it is, Mm. uh, be sure to check us out on Instagram. And we even have, check this out, a Facebook group where we like to drop additional content. That'd be more than what you find on the regular show, leaving you laughing uh, at what I thought the lyrics (laughs) to love is a battlefield were. I forgot to adjust that line of the script. Uh, or dirty deeds in the Dunder Cheap. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> don't forget to pop over the famous you, but the tube where we watch us make silly faces as we try to figure out how to put this whole thing together. And who knows, someday when we have time, there'll be some exclusive content <laughs> coming. Uh, you don't want to miss this. Uh, so be sure to fire off, click and hit that old subscribe button. Oh, yeah. Now, Frank. Today's episode is a spotlight on the year 1981 for Mm. one Joan Jett and her band, The Blackhearts. Now, loosely 1981 and loosely Joan Jett and The Blackhearts, because we're going to be discussing Joan Jett's entire career. But we're going to really focus on uh, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, and then we'll kind of roll on from there. But um, you know, nothing came easy to Joan Jett or the Blackhearts, Frank, but that's what makes uh, for a cool story, right? I mean, kind of, sort of, we'll get there. Uh, are you ready for some uh, capital R rock, capital N, capital R roll, Franco? Yeah, we are, buddy. R-O-C-K in the USA, my man. That's right. All right. So let's start uh, with the cliche stuff people want. Frank. Sure. Stats. Uh, Joan Jett, born Joan Marie Larkin, September 22nd, 1958, just outside of Philadelphia, PA. G-Stakes. 
Uh, she got her first guitar at 13 and began to take lessons, but quit when her instructor kept trying to teach her folk songs, Frank. Uh, her family would soon move to Los Angeles, California, only for her parents to divorce shortly after the move, divorced right. shortly after the move. I'm not sure how much that word came out of my mouth. <laughs> Bummer, right? Uh, with the divorce her parents uh, of her parents, Joan took the opportunity to change her last name to Jet, which she thought would help with her rock star aspirations. There is a funny little factoid here, Frank. Mm -hmm. It turns out she would tell people that Jet was her mother's maiden name to oh. justify the switch. Uh, now, I, I never would have assumed that her mother's maiden or that her real name was really Joan Jet or that her mother's maiden name was Jet. Right. Uh, in fact, I was kind of surprised to find out her first name was Joan. Um, <laughs> forget the Jet part. Um, Frank, what do you think of the stage name? We never did this, but would you, what would you use as like a, a faux a stage name if you became, you know, uh, Frankie Sharp dress or something. What what would you, what would your stage name be? Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with first of all, Joan Jett as the stage name. When when mm -hmm. I was younger, of course, I legit thought it was actually her birth name. Sure. Uh, but, but think of all the stage names, right? Axel Rose, Alice Cooper, Gene Simmons, Stephen Tyler, your favorite, John Bon Jovi, uh -huh. and ones we actually give a shit about, like Joe Strummer and the Ramones, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of stage names out there. I'm not sure mine would be like I always go back to like Frankie D, but that's kind of like my name, right? So I don't know if that's actually a stage name, but I, I would think it would be along the lines of Frankie D. Okay. Oh, I mean, Frankie D is definitely your name. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you've got like nine of them and they all equal that. So, right. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so, before we get too far into this, we, we need to address the runaways, which uh, honestly could have been its own spotlight uh, entirely. And, and maybe one day it will be. That's um, true. It, but before we get to uh, Frank's obsessions, um, Frank, <laughs> would you give us, uh, as the resident runaway's <laughs> head, could you give us a brief background on the group? That's because I my my communicated with Sheree Curry. That's why you're saying that, right? Okay. I, I am. Yes. <laughs> so, all right, sure, dude. Uh, this was a badass group. I mean, obviously you have Joan Jett, but you have Sheree Curry, email friend of mine, Lita Ford, um, and let's do, and of course there's other members, but those were like the obviously the main ones. Uh, in short, they were formed in '75 by drummer Sandy West and Joan Jett. Uh, the driving force behind them was producer Kim Fowley. Uh, he was more than likely also he contributed to their demise with the members, of course, in conjunction with the members' wild partying habits and doing all sorts of stuff that Mark Mean you could only dream of, right? Uh huh. Yeah, the band actually toured though with such bands as Cheap Trick, Van Halen, Talking Heads, and even Tom Petty. So I mean Ooh. they. Yeah, exactly. They had two records with Sheree Curry on vocals. And I tell you what, uh, they really embraced a hard rock, almost metal sound. Uh, they became big in Japan. Um, mm -hmm. Now, Sheree Curry leaves and Jet takes over on lead vocals. And that band turns the corner really to a more pop punk sound, uh, which guess who? Lita Ford was not thrilled about, right? <laughs> uh, their, nope. later, their later albums definitely fall flat with Jet on vocals. Uh, not Jeff, like in the script, but Jet on vocals. <laughs> in fact, their last record um, entitled And Now mm -hmm. the Runways has a Beatles cover. And of all songs, they picked the worst Beatles single eight days a week mind-blowing there's so many beatles songs you could have chosen eight days a week i can't even find a clip of the beatles playing that so i mean it's crazy eventually the band would dissipate like a tornado due to excess of everything poor management disagreement between band members and of course the old scuttle pal money yeah, money, money 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 
the finger thing means the money, right? That's what well, they say. Yeah, that's what they say. Uh, so the Runaways played their final show New Year's Eve 1978 and called it quits officially uh, in April of 79. Mm-hmm. Jet would move on to work with producer Kenny Laguna, who oh. she uh, met with working on uh, a run Runaways film project. Uh, she was still obligated to do after the band broke up, but the film would be scrapped about halfway through production uh, and the two became great friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jet would then move to New York with Kenny uh, Laguna. And while she was able to release her first solo album, the self-titled Joan Jet in the UK in 1980 mm-hmm. on, I believe this is Areola Records, like the it's nipple, out. like the yeah. part of the nipple. <laughs> um, however, in the US, the album was rejected by Frank 23 major record labels and the pair decided to start their own label blackheart records sounds good to me mm. which they found the startup money for in laguna's daughter's college fund. oh gosh laguna has been quoted as saying we couldn't think of anything to do but print up some records ourselves frank how good of an artist uh. would you need to offer up one of your daughter's college funds to cover the cost of printing a record. I mean, what a risk. I mean, yeah. like, listen, the Greek in me would totally prevent anything like this from ever happening, <laughs> ever. Uh, unless you were like the next Dylan. But even then, uh, half of me is like, yeah, it's not going to work. But All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank, uh, Kenny Laguna uh, had an old pal named Neil Bogart, oh. who found uh, the founder of Casablanca Records and subsequently boardwalk records to which he signed Joan Jett and the black hearts on January 23rd, 1981. He re-released her self-titled album as mm-hmm. bad reputation. So that's why we have both of these records coming out in the same year, because in, in the U S they were both released in 81. That, that's her answer. Despite the, the 80 release in the UK uh, as just Joan Jett mm-hmm. and her self-titled album, Joan Jett, this is Joan Jett and the black hearts bad reputation so got it got it got it let's jump into this first album uh, of our spotlight feature here and talk about 1981's bad reputation 12 tracks clocking in just under 39 minutes while jet sang and played on all of the tracks she's only credited with writing five out of the 12 songs herself frank Mm -hmm. uh not unsurprising for the time really uh but certainly a bold choice now jet and laguna uh, seemed to channel a love for 50s and 60s rock and roll with a heavy dose of, of glam and early punk rock, uh, which both were heavily influenced by. The choice to do two Gary Glitter songs well before his child pornography scandal probably seemed like a solid idea at the time. But with five covers here, including the Isley Brothers Shout, Shout. Don't Own... That's right. Uh, You Don't Own Me, originally made famous by 17-year-old Leslie Gore in 1963, written by John Madeira and David White, along with one of my personal favorite rock tunes of all time, Sam Sham and the Pharaoh's 1964 classic, Wooly Bully. That's right. Normally, I like to start these by addressing the first track off the bat, especially when it's the uh, it's the new title track. But with all these covers, let me ask you this. Does this feel like a proper first solo album to you? No, it doesn't at all. Uh, th- this doesn't have the feel of a debut record, which is a showcase of what an artist can do today. I could easily see this just being like the, the original tunes and then someone being like, Hey, this is my first EP and I'm going to ride this out for a while until like we do the first proper 
uh, LP. Um, it's just it's too loaded with covers, which begs the question: Why wouldn't they wait for more songs to be written? Like, why do they feel that? And second question: Why do they feel that these covers were essential to making this record work? That's something I, I would really like to know. Yeah, so I can answer both of those questions, Frank. I have no fucking clue. Because <laughs> okay. neither one of them makes any sense to me. It, it, it really is a weird a weird choice here. So it's rushed. Um, it makes it all be rushed. And, and it's odd when you consider they had all this time to themselves. They, you know, right. it's so odd. And so let's like talk rush. about <laughs> the song Bad Reputation, yes. which only got a, a music video after the sex of, after the success, <laughs> excuse me, uh, of the next album, I Love Rock and Roll, of course. Uh, but has been a signature piece of the band's repertoire since yeah. both the album's release, Frank. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this Blackheart classic, Bad Reputation? Yeah, I mean, it's a classic song and you can't go wrong with it. It's got the the hint of uh, the Ramones early rock and roll attitude, uh, a hooky catchiness to this. Lots of energy that's really infectious. Uh, you can out listen to this and actually be in a bad mood. So bad reputation, the song doesn't equate to someone being in a bad mood. So the song definitely holds up. It kicks ass. My girls like it. Excellent. Now, uh, I started with bad reputation uh, because it was the title track. Right? Sure. It's track one. Makes we sense. needed to address it. But Joan Jett has four more writing credits on the album. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You don't know what you've got. Let me go, Jezebel, and don't abuse me. We get some slower moments and a good dose of that Gary Glitter sound rubbing off. Oh, boy. Yeah, probably not my best choice of phrase. I'm sorry. Especially on uh, that song, Jezebel. But these songs feel a bit flat as it doesn't sound like the gang of musicians playing on this album before uh, were actually the Blackhearts. You know, they they never quite formed and came together uh, Mm. to give these original songs quite as vibrant of a life as they did with with bad reputation i think they right. knew they had a hit with bad reputation and unfortunately they they picked a bunch of covers and some really bad songs that joan jett wrote on her own to go with this thing it was, huh. yeah um, it was a, it's, it's a tough one yeah <laughs> yeah so uh just leaving make believe and too bad on your birthday out of this album um would have been a good start. I hate to sound mean because I, I do like Bad Reputation, the song and a yeah. handful of the covers here. Outside of those, it, it's not hard to understand why this album got passed by so many labels. Um, it's clear that Jet and Laguna had a vision of, of what the band was, but without the Blackhearts being a true band and just stuffing musicians, session musicians together to put this thing together, it lacked a ton of soul and emotion that a, a real band would have put together for this. Frank, what are your thoughts so far on the debut slash sophomore album? Right. Yeah. Um, this seems more like a quick gathering of scraps outside of a bad reputation just to make, I think, old fans of the runways to make sure that they didn't forget about Jet and mm. expose new fans to Jet. To me, that's why I feel uh, feel it's rushed. After the runaways, you know, there was some pressure, I think, to ensure that Jet was uh, a success whether mm-hmm. it be by her or her team, the whole creation behind it, like the team along with Jet, they seem to have a specific intent. And that intent was not to give us an original album with 10 to 12, with a debut album with 10 to 12 original tracks. So that wasn't the intent at all. Uh, the other original tunes, um, they don't go anywhere. In fact, they, so they slow down the album and it takes away the edge 
that bad mm-hmm. reputation established on the first track because now it's deceiving. So you listen to this record, bad reputation, oh, very forceful, edgy. Yeah, that's not the rest of the record. Uh, so you stated it perfectly with the flat sounding nature. And there's a stock quality to them with a lot of one, three, five chorus chord structure, which gives them all this kind of similar sound. Uh, it's challenging when I look at this album. Uh, I look at these songs as really uh, like uh, it's kind of and I don't even consider the covers album or the covers as part of the album because there's just so many. Uh, so for me, like, I don't think this album plays like an actual album. Yeah, let's. uh take this opportunity to chat about the black hearts themselves uh, as this is where the black hearts become the black hearts. The band has gone through yeah. uh, lots of changes. Lots. Um, something to the effect of nine different bass players, three lead guitarists, four, if you count Joan Jett for, there were some albums where she's credited as on lead guitar um, and at least three drummers. While there have been many longtime members like uh, Tommy Price, who played the drums for the Black Hearts for the better part of 20 years and mm-hmm. uh, Doug Needles, who's been on guitar for uh, a bit longer than that. Um, however, the idea behind the Black Hearts has always been pretty straightforward. A backing band that hits as hard as Joan's dynamic voice performance. Sure. I said that specifically because I've read her lyrics. Um, a real band. A rocking band so loaded with the so loaded with the backing band in place. It was time for a follow up record, and it was spring of 1981. They went into the studio to record uh, "I Love Rock and Roll." To date, Joan Jett's most commercially successful album, having oh, sold yeah. 10 million copies worldwide. Oh, that's massive. Uh, largely off the back of the lead single "Tighter Track" and another cover, uh, the iconic i love rock and roll uh 10 tracks clocking in just over 30 minutes uh released november 18th 1981 uh including three more covers bits and pieces from the dave clark five which doesn't fit particularly well with this album but that wasn't my choice, so whatever. <laughs> uh, Crimson and Clover by Tommy James and uh, the Shondells, which fucking rules. Uh, really blurring that glam rock line with this fuzzy take uh, on the classic tune works perfectly with her raspy uh, goodness of Joan Jett's voice. Uh, and probably my least favorite track here, <laughs> the cover of the Christmas classic Little Drummer Boy, I'm not a Christmas dude, um, and I don't understand uh, why this song is on here, uh, but to each their own. But uh, this certainly is not a cover for me. Um, you got any comments on, on the covers, Frank? Mm. All right. So from a non-Christmas dude such as yourself to mm. an actual Christmas dude like me, I've uh-huh. never liked the song. So I've oh, I, no. yeah, I've never liked this one. The melody, the barumpa bum bum always annoyed me as a kid. I love a good barumpa bum bum. See, there you go. <laughs> so it doesn't help the cause. If you're gonna pick a, a holiday tune, I mean my gosh, just pick something else. Just not not the little drum. Why a holiday tune? Why yeah. well, why not just then do a holiday album and you know next year at you know, in, in the holiday season of 1982. I don't know why this is on here. I guess that's at the end of the day it has no no business being on here at all. So the rest of the covers, well, what can you say about them? Listen, I Love Rock and Roll is a great tune. And the original by the Arrows are also rocks. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that 
that that's just a good song. So um, Jets version is the one that everyone knows. So that says something about the heart of the Blackhearts, the heart of the recording. And of course, the overall performance by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts uh, mm-hmm. bits and pieces doesn't fit. And it disrupts the whole flow of the record. If you ask me, that's where it takes a <laughs> turn. Um, I would really uh, like to be, again, a particle on the wall just to witness the logic behind the covers being discussed by the bat, uh, by the band and the management. Because at this point, it's like, all right, covers are a staple here. Why these covers? Uh, right. Crimson and Clover, though, uh, I was very familiar with uh, prior to hearing or being more familiar with than the Jet version. Uh, I just think... Um, I think as with I Love Rock and Roll, the band and Jet, they just deliver here. It's got the edge, nice and loud sound. And I really think it encompasses like the sound that Jet wanted in her mind. So I I think those two tunes in particular really are the epitome of what she was going for. Yeah. Now, uh, Frank, we're only two years out from the breakup of the Runaways uh, and we're, you know, I'm going to run away, uh, which paints the picture of a young woman moving on with her life after people have changed. Probably one of my favorite songs written by Jet uh, didn't end up as a hit. Frank, what were your thoughts of uh, I'm going to run away? Yeah. So the breakup of the band, I'm sure, was had a lifelong impact on on Jet. And I think this song was trying to capture that sentiment. Uh, they were they were just kids. Uh, that's what they were. Right. And they had everything thrown at them. Uh, at an extremely fast velocity. And I'm not sure if they were prepared and or ready for that. Uh, Jet and Curry uh, had a well-known, not only emotional relationship, but a physical bond to their relationship Hello. as well. And Ford and uh, Jet had creative tension musically, um, had, you know, as, and some might be able to see why. Uh, Cherie and Jet would even uh, have their own uh, tension too. So I, I like that this song is an expression of all that went down because that was a vital part in, in Jet's life at the time. Yeah, and it's it's for me, I think it's the first sign of her being a strong songwriter without relying on somebody else to, to write the song for her. Right. Because we haven't seen, other than Bad Reputation, this is like the best original song by Joan Jett herself. Right. And how do you practice that is by writing more songs. But anyway, (laughs) up next on the album is Love is Pain. Ain't that the truth? Mm -hmm. Which I think it's a a cool stripped down and raw sounding track that plays up to the band's kind of 50s and 60s roots rock strengths. Uh, It helps paint Jett's image of a tough rocker babe who doesn't take shit because she's learned from her pain, theoretically, or something like that. Uh, But we get nag right the word Hmm. nag which Hmm. we really lean heavy on in that 50s pop sound repetition the phrase nag over and over again flipping the dynamic of who calls who a nag however there is something kind of corny about the way it's delivered and it doesn't land quite as hard-hitting as i think it was meant to Mm -hmm. Right. This idea that she's going to take the power back by calling herself a nag. Mm. I I don't know, Uh, which is a bummer because the music is fun, but the lyrics make make it a song. I I just don't want to listen to, if I'm being honest with you. Um, Frank, what do you think about these two kind of retro tunes from 81? Yeah, I think Love and Pain is one of her better tunes overall. Uh, It takes the simple elements of the 50s and the 60s rock pre-hippie 60s uh and and jet adds what she really again desires in in the sound nice fuzzy guitars wants to create a song that you could sing along with so i think whatever that whole recipe came together quite well nag 
sounds like they wanted to amp up the Beach Boys, but you know the Ramones were doing that better at that time. So that's a tough act, you know. Um, yeah. The nag in the background just starts getting annoying to me. And nag, it so- nag, 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 nag. It sounds like a jingle or like a commercial you would hear on TV at the time. Like it just it, it really grates the ears. Um, so the good that love is that love is pain brought us gets negated by the song with the ironic name of nag. You know, ironically, as I was looking up. <laughs> doing the research on this, right? And, and I was noticing how few songs she wrote. And there are a few songs not written by Joan Jett that aren't covers, right? She paid songwriters as as every, uh, just about every artist in the recording industry yeah. does, pays other people to write Abs- songs for them and absolutely. they play them. But it was funny to me. I noticed, uh, certainly with the first album and on here, uh, there's a few tracks that were written by guys who primarily write commercials. And oh, jeez. Okay, that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, Yeah. So uh, Crimson and Clover uh, comes up next on the album. I'm not I'm sure this cover brought the band tons of exposure throughout the years. But since we've covered the covers, let's talk about uh, Victim of Circumstance. At track six, we get a bold reminder that this song was written and recorded in the 80s with this chorus uh, and a reference back to her own previous song, Bad Reputation. But at least she wrote this rocker herself. Mm-hmm. It's a fun track and shows the band's growth and fun energy. Frank, what did you think of Victim of Circumstance? Yeah, I kind of wanted more of this and less reliance on the covers. And I actually um, think it could have fit more on the actual Bad Reputation album as that was the theme. So we, we get to then kind of explore it more. It's a fun tune. And I wish the, the sharpness of this was expanded in other songs as opposed to really just going flat, uh, which is what we get with the other tunes. So it was a kind of shame that that this wasn't expanded on more. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that completely. Uh, so we're kind of at the close of the album, right? The album closes with three strong, uh, three songs, excuse me, Be Straight, You're mm. Too Possessive, and of course, Little Drummer Boy. Um, <laughs> Be Straight is another stripped down number. Uh, this time the song revolves around Joan, uh, about telling Joan the truth. Uh, just be straight about it. It's all right. Just be straight. Uh, in reference, of course, to being honest and in no way uh, a reference to anyone's uh, or or telling anyone what their sexual preference should be. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure Joan Jett would be like the first person to say that. Um, <laughs> you're too possessive. Uh, I like this song, <laughs> but I don't know why she sings with a British accent for like half yeah, the song. It's like weird. just the choruses or just the verse. It's fucking weird. Uh, focusing on independence and not taking anyone's BS. Mm-hmm. This is a straightforward rock number. Uh, I can see this being, you know, a, a riot girl anthem, if you will, Frank. Right. Uh, but it doesn't do a ton for me. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not skipping it. I'm just not totally thrilled. With it. <laughs> right. uh, Frank, I've already talked uh, about Little Drummer Boy as much uh, as I, I would really right. care to. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the three songs closing <laughs> out the album? Yeah. And I'll be more happy again, just to reiterate how I could really don't care for a little drummer for the little drummer boy and, and how it doesn't belong on a rock and roll album. So, um, you know, tomorrow, Mark, just expand on that again. If I'm making a Christmas album, that song is not even on the scope. It's not even like oh, wow. in, the, in, in the top 20. So I'm not even touching Little Drummer Boy at all. Um, all right. Especially as a closer. Anyway, yeah. uh, B Street has some similar vibes to Iggy's 1969. Uh, and another song uh, for the life of me, I cannot recall um, 
and I never really liked 1969 to be honest with you. So, um, like you, um, I like that you you're too possessive, but but the accent's confusing. I mean, we're in 1981, uh, and in the punk world, you know, the, the pistols were already done. So maybe this is her trying, this is Jet trying to emulate the Clash or the Buzzcocks. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really just throwing a bunch of nice spaghetti on the wall here. Uh, I would like this song if it wasn't for the accents. Fair enough. Now, there's a ton more uh, to Joan Jett's career, including nine more studio albums uh, yeah. for the Blackheart, thousands and thousands of concerts, uh, and being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Jett is coined as, quote, the godmother of punk rock mm. and is often cited as an influence by armies of rockers, both male and female, as an icon of the times. Sure. Frank, I'm a fan of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, despite the sure. fact that these two individual albums were far less than stellar. Um, as a whole, her career is pretty well-rounded and makes for fun listening, especially if you like a good cover or if you just want a lot of covers. <laughs> right. uh, Frank, what are your thoughts? Um, so tons of respect, of course, for, for Jet and the Black Hawk and the Black Hawk. I was gonna say Blackhawks. Wow. So, uh, tons <laughs> of respect for Jet and the Black Hearts and her career. Uh, she transcends influence uh, to to so many, male or female, doesn't matter, uh, and and into many corners of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, these records, they definitely have fun moments, but to me, um, it's not a satisfying listening experience due to the fact that they feel like again they were just pieced together, scrapped together with odd covers, major singles, some fun songs, but mostly flat tunes. Um, listen, due to uh, the likability, her extreme passion, and her ability to rock out, it's hard to say anything less than positive about Jet. Like Dave Grohl, Mark, as we were talking about the other day, they're, mm-hmm. they're cool peeps, right? But not everything they create. Uh, musically is amazing. And I think that's okay for us to address that and not have that be an indictment on their career. I, I think it's just okay to state. Mm-hmm. Um, the Runaways are, are an example of, they could have been you know, a serious contender for a hard rock metal band. Uh, and one could argue actually Jet maybe steered that ship the other way. I'm just saying um, with these two records, you get the best of what this band has to offer, but you also get the most flat natured tunes that they have to offer. It's a fun. Listen, the hits are still fantastic. The hits hold up, uh, but the whole album and listening to these two, uh, it's, it's just not for me. Yeah. You know, I'm with you on this one, Frank. I think you made an excellent point earlier, right? I feel like there was a little bit too much interest and intent on carrying over her success with the runways, runaways into her solo career instead of focusing on putting solid albums together and creating a much more solid foundation for her career to grow on, which is too bad because I think really when you give her the tools she needs, she's a fantastic rock. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I agree. Uh, So with that said, my friend, it's, it's game time. Are you ready? Game time. I, I, I've said before, a lot of people have come up with many, many names for uh, for Joan Jett, but some people refer to her as the the godmother of punk rock, right? Which is uh, probably Patti Smith's title. Uh, I don't care for her very much, but that's a whole other conversation. But Frank, I thought with that said, we'd play the nickname game. Let's do it, man. Let's do okay. it. Okay, I'm gonna give you uh, I'm gonna give you two examples, okay. so you understand how the game works, and then I've got ten questions for you. Okay. 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 So the first question. Now, if you can't answer based on the clue, I'll which, give you... Which will be more than them, but go ahead. <laughs> which will be right. More. I'll give you a major hit they have, 
All you got to do is name the artist. Oh. But if I give you the clue, you don't get a point for it. Oh. All right. Oh. Name oh. this oh. American oh. rock frontman known as the Lizard King. So this is, I'm naming who they are, not exactly who. Right. Name, name who this person is. American rock frontman known as the Lizard King. Wait, um, hold on. Duh. Wasn't that? Uh, hello. Shoot. What's his name? Duh. My mom has a big crush on it. Jim Morrison. That's correct. So if you hadn't been able to guess Jim Morrison, I would have told you light my fire. Ah, uh, now right? I got. Now I got it. Okay. Right. So I, I got. A, I get a point for that, though, right? Yeah, you would have gotten a point for that. So here's the the other practice one. Oh, I would okay. have gotten a point for that. I see where. Well, I'm... I mean, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you practice points. I'll <laughs> practice points. I'll give you practice points. Okay. Go right ahead. One practice point. Uh, the, the second practice question, right? This American trumpeter is known as the king of jazz. Oh, Louis Armstrong. Correct. Yes. Two points for Frank. Yes. Most excellent. All right, you ready to get in the actual game? You've got two bonus points already. Hmm. This it. American singer okay. and former Mickey Mouse Club member is called both the princess of pop and the voice of a generation. Princess of Pop. Princess of Pop and Voice of a Generation. This is tricky because there's a couple people who will share all of these names. Yeah, I was okay. Cause like I'm not gonna lie, the first name that comes up is Britney Spears. Ooh, that is not correct. Mm. Would you care for another guess or the clue? I would take the clue. Genie in a bottle. Oh, Christina Aguilera. Correct. I mean, I was kind of right with, you know, kind of in that same. Man, okay, I'm bummed now. <laughs> it's all right. They're only going to get harder. This 90s rock star was mm. known as the king of anti-pop. The king of anti-pop? Why did I want to say uh, anti-flag? <laughs> not anti-flag. <laughs> not, not close, right? The king of anti-pop. Uh, can I get the next clue? The next clue, I'm not going to tell you uh, the name of their biggest hit because that's just too much. I'll, I'll give you a clue that you and I would know. Uh, you would refer to this person as the killer of hair metal. Uh, the killer of hair metal? Yeah. Oh. Oh, uh, Kurt Cobain. Correct. Yeah, duh. Okay. All right. <laughs> you didn't get a point because I gave you the easy answer. I, I'll um, get half a, I don't get half a point on this. <laughs> This former member of the Runaways ah. would go on to be known as the queen of yep. heavy metal. Lita Ford. Very nice. Bonus points. Bonus. Lita Ford's number one biggest hit was a duet with Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. And you name the hit. And I close my eyes forever. Correct. Yep. Yep. It's a double yeah. point for you, buddy. Guess who, guess who had a crush on Lita Ford as a kid? Wouldn't be this guy. No. Oh, no, oh. it was. It was. Oh, it was. Oh, I was going to say, I don't know who else you could be referring to then. Hello. Um, <laughs> all right. Known as both the Prince of Soul mm. and the Prince of Motown, this former singer was executed by a oh. gunshot to the chest by his own father. Yeah, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. That is correct, Marvin Gaye. Yeah, by his own father. Think about that for mm -hmm. a second, folks. That's crazy stuff. Mm hmm. This legendary piano playing rocker was known as 
the killer. Jerry Lee Lewis. That's correct. Yeah. See, you're doing great, buddy. Don't worry about it. He's an, he's an interesting guy, man. What can I tell you? Chairman of the board. Chairman of the board. Chairman of the board. Oh, come on. You got this. Oh, man. Chairman, he's chairman of, of the board. I know. I know. Oh, 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 oh. It's magic. No, that's uh, you just kept saying, oh, oh, and I just, oh, 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 oh it's, magic. it's magic. But that's, that's not nothing to do with the answer. No. <laughs> Come on, on. You know this. I do. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Um, uh, it, it's a guy from uh, Michigan. I know the Motown, right? Um, uh, You're getting oh, there. You're oh, getting there. E- Chairman of the board. Ah. Uh, Mm. It's Frank Sinatra. Mm. What? It's Frank Sinatra, commonly referred to as chairman of the board. Oh shit! I thought. Oh, I thought that, w- that had to do with Motown and and. Oh. No, that's why I put that there to trick you. Well, you and you did. Hmm. Okay. It's gonna get pretty crazy from here, Frank. Are you ready? Mm. Mm. I need you to name two out of these three bands. Okay. Name as many of these bands that the world would know as the unholy trinity of British hard rock and heavy metal. Wait, wait, unholy trinity. Trinity of Of British British hard hard rock rock. and heavy metal. Sabbath. Uh Uh-huh. Deep Purple. Oh, it's two out of three. Can you get the third one? Zeppelin. Yes. Good job, buddy. Good job. I'm going to give you three points for that one. You got all three. Damn better. <laughs> you, only, you only had to get 10 points and you're already up to like uh, a bunch. Oh, <laughs> um, all right. Question number eight. You ready? Oh, yes, sir. These three 50s rocker rockers shared the same fate and are known collectively as the father, son and Holy Ghost. Father, son and, and they. Wait, and they shared the same fate collectively. So obviously they're dead. Obviously. obviously. Um, um, Buddy Holly. Uh-huh. Is he one? Uh-huh. Richie Valens. Uh-huh. And the Big Bopper. And the Big Bopper. That's right. That's right. That's so right. You're doing great on this. Thanks, man. Uh, name this family group known both as Britain's first family of harmony and disco kings. Oh, God. Disco. Oh, Britain's. Uh, the, yeah. Bee-G- the Bee Gees. That, that's correct. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. The most important question on here, Frank, are you ready? Uh, yes. Formed in 1976, this band would be referred to as the only band that matters. Oh, The Clash. That's right. See? Bing, 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 bing. Bing, bang, boom, bing, bang. So, Frank, out of 12 possible points, Give it excuse to me, me uh, out of 10 possible points, you got 12. Yes. Congratulations, buddy. We threw in some extra points. We did some math. We made some things work. You're a big winner. I am. I am. Yeah. I'm a winner. That's my affirmation. I'm a winner. Uh-huh. He's a winner, folks. You're not a loser. That means you get a chicken dinner, I believe. Oh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's right. Well, maybe I you got to win again. Ah, yeah, ah, yeah, because yeah. winner, winner, right? That would suggest you got to win twice. Yeah, okay, 
Okay. <laughs> you want to know what's next week, Mark? I would love to know what's next week. So I'm not going to give you choices because, oh. yeah, I'm, I, I totally just put that aside because oh. uh-huh. this band came up uh, just on my recent listens and it, it moved on top of the list because I was like, I need to know what Mark thinks about it. So it's one of those things oh. where I'm like, I need to know what Mark thinks about it. Yeah, we, we, ladies other... and gentlemen, we have an emergency broadcast coming. That's right. Way. That's right. <laughs> breaking, breaking, right? <laughs> I've just been handed this letter at the news desk. That's all folks. <laughs> oh, no. <All> right. So, <laughs> so Mark, we're, we're going back. We're going to the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, some post hardcore for you. Mm-hmm. From a band that was around from 90 to 95. Okay. And, and you know, I kind of always search for these bands that sonically sound like Fugazi, right? We, I, brought, right. I, I brought Jawbox to the table and kind of just always trying to find the sounds. Now, this band would spawn other bands um, from the members, but we're going to talk about the 1994 release called Yank Crime, Y-A-N-K Crime, by the band Drive Like Jehu. That's Drive Like J E H U. Drive Like Jehu. Drive Like Jehu. Yeah. Yeah. So Yank I, Crime. Yank Crime. It's the only one that's actually on, on Spotify. Even, and they have a self titled um, that was released in 91, but that's not available for streaming. Where are these guys from? Now, these guys are from. And they'll, they'll kind of make sense with the other bands I'll, they eventually form, which I'll tell you about. So they're from okay. San Diego. Oh, San Di- that means a whale's vagina. <laughs> That's what it, Of course it does. Of course it does. <laughs> um, so they're around 90-95. Now, one of the members, uh, John Rez, would go on to form Rocket from the Crypt. Oh, cool. So And um, the singer, uh, Rick Froberg. Uh, would be in other bands, but then him and John would eventually convene and form the band Hot Snakes, which we've talked about, I know, a couple oh, times cool. before. Yeah. yeah. So uh, kind of sonically a little bit like that. These songs are unlike Hot Snakes, where Hot Snake songs are, are shorter. These are a little bit longer, right? So we're going to okay. have some longer tracks here. Uh, you're going to oh, get boy. some post-hardcore. You're going to get into some noise rock. You're going to get into mm-hmm. some math elements. Oh. Um and of course, the term because this is now early in '90 is thrown around is that they were, you know, they paved the way for some emo stuff. But it's kind of like Rites of Spring, where it doesn't sound like emo at all, and they just wanted to throw it at them. Um, but you know, big cult following. We like kind of albums like that that maybe not sure. a lot may know. Um, and I want your thoughts on that. No diggity, no doubt, buddy. I am, I am looking forward to this. We're gonna, we're gonna nice. jump in there and find it. You know, at. 90 to 95 right so they were a band for five years yeah that's longer than the confederacy this band means more to america than the confederacy absolutely absolutely yeah. and and as we're uncovering this and it has this big big cult following uh it, it should be a treasure right it should be it should be it should be. oh heck yes yes so just so you know too, the spotify version so there's nine the first nine tracks are the proper album uh mm-hmm. there's three uh, bonus tracks um, on on Spotify too. So, yeah, I'll fit them into the script somehow. So, cool. Yeah, man. So I'm excited for you to listen to that. Excited, of course, as always for your opinion. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate your time. Please remember like, subscribe, rate, review, and more importantly, be safe out there. Man, that was a fun one, wasn't it? It sure was, pal. Thanks for listening, friends. You know, no. we, Frank and I, we could do this without. In fact, we do do this without you, but we do we it do, for you. We do do. 
as much as we do it for us. So, um, you oh, know, yeah. doing all the way. Now, uh, won't you join me as we we close the show? Uh, say it with me, meow. Uh, mm. Oh my my! Oh hell yes! Oh, bye bye. What are you kids doing out there? Quit making so much noise! You're making such a racket with your rock and roll music always. Oh, uh,